Welcome to the Downstream from Religion podcast. In this podcast, we study the book of Judges to see how it uniquely unfolds to highlight problems that exactly parallel the problems in our times, while uniquely giving solutions that we can apply today. I am your host, Ian Bailey. I am an ordained Orthodox rabbi and a licensed psychotherapist living in Baltimore, Maryland. I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington, and I spent many years in Jerusalem, Israel. Breitbart said that politics is downstream from culture. To change politics, one has to change culture. It is equally true that culture is downstream from religion, which means that a lack of dedication to morality leads to breakdown in culture. Lack of solid religion leads to the breakdown of a nation. It is with this lens that we turn to the book of Judges today. Today we'll take a look at chapter 1, and I highly suggest people at least read through the chapters as we go through ahead of time, and I will highlight the key points for our study. Judges 1, Joshua passes away. He leaves his job of conquering Israel unfinished, of driving out the heathen, heathen, murderous, idolatrous nations. And there is a type of uh, Swiss cheese of foreign city-states among the land of Israel. So God says, Who will go up and first fight against the Canaanites? The, the Canaanites, might, one of the mighty seven nations there. Or it could refer to all seven nations that were living there. And God said, Judah will go up. I have delivered him into his hand meaning he will win, be victorious. Judah speaks to Simeon, his brother, Yehuda and Shimon. Go up to battle with me for my portion. We will wage war against the Canaanites. We must understand why Judah and Simon, Simeon, are those nations. So it's important to understand that Groups of people, sociologically speaking, can have a certain personality, so to speak. I have a source on this in Psychology 101 textbooks, as well as family therapy textbooks, even written by people from all different political persuasions. This is not a racial thing. And I have Jewish sources for this. That in nations, really it's cultures, in regional cultures, on average, people can have a certain uh, emphasis in their personality. Certain countries are more fastidious or proper. On average, not every single person. Certain countries might be more extroverted and bold, more assertive or aggressive societies, etc. On average. So Judah is the tribe, the Shebet, which means a staff, a jurisdiction. It is the tribe that King David comes from. So those people are wielding King David's attribute, which is kingliness. So they can be very commanding. They're the mightiest of warriors there. And Simeon, his brother, was also wielding a very strong attribute. I call it the guarding attribute. So if you look in the book of Genesis, Reuben, Simon, Levi... They all could have been the king. 
However, they did certain acts that used their healthy aggression, so to speak, their commanding nature for misdeeds. And those are mis again, those are misdeeds that we learn from. We should not out of hand assume, hand assume that these great people were doing simple emotional uh, sins and mistakes. These were very high-level decisions they made, and they repented. They're called the tribes of God. So we see them making mistakes. Those, those are lessons for us. But they lost the kingship. And if you go down in the 12 tribes, the kingship descends to the fourth son, Judah. Because he used his assertiveness, his extreme commanding nature, to stand up and to be a leader. He leads the brothers to Egypt to survive, teaming up with Joseph. He admits he's wrong with the incident of Tamar, and he takes responsibility. So these two tribes are extremely strong. They are excellent for going to wage war against the evil uh, heathen nations. So this is guarding attribute originally was revealed by Isaac means that somebody has a nature where they could have tremendous self-control or they could use their strength to be a bully in an unhealthy way controlling or they can they can often use that extreme assertiveness on rare occasions to come and protect and save the day when it calls for in, um, physical involvement and interruption. So this is a nature you find in people. It's an attribute that Isaac brought to the world. And Reuben, Reuben Simon, and Levi ended up uh, wielding this attribute. It matches up nicely with the stronger nature of Judah. They are bold. Judah is not afraid of anyone. This tribe of, of uh, mighty warriors... They go straight for the head of 70 nations. And they make a statement there, and they take him out. I once heard a live class from the chief rabbi of Israel at the time of blessed memory, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, that gave an, an incredible insight about 70. He said that he once went to a conference of world religious leaders, and he took all the different hundreds of groups and he boiled them down to similar categories and he actually got 70 distinct uh, you know, cultures. And we have a Jewish tradition that there are 70 nations, so it's alive and well. So here I think 70 uh, local regional um, kings uh, is sort of like the maximum. It's the maxed out you know, regional structures of city-states that were ruled by Adoni Bezek. So this Adoni Bezek character, picture the head of a terrorist network. Picture the boss of bosses in the mafia. He was the head of a meta group of evil heathen nations who would sacrifice children, uh, mutilate themselves, commit adultery, on and on. Disrespect parents, steal, kidnap, etc. Child trafficking. So Judah, being fearless, goes and makes a statement by taking out the head person. Quite logical. They keep making their descent and going around, driving people out. And Caleb offers an, a particular area, Kiriath Safer, to whoever will conquer it. 
he will give him his daughter and his brother. Oth, we say Othniel, son of Canaz. Maybe you say Othniel, son of Canaz. Check your Bible. This person is the warrior of warriors. He goes, he conquers it, and he marries his niece, which is allowed in the law. Today it might, we might not do it if there are genetic issues, but it is allowed in the law. It's not perverse. And remember this story, because this story is actually already in the book of Joshua, but it's repeated for a reason. He will be the first judge coming up who brings us a very powerful lesson I think you'll really enjoy. Um, but just put that in the bookmark section of your brain. Um, we keep having some more conquering. However, chapter 1 ends on a sour note. The other tribes were not as assertive and strong, did not, did not team up with mighty nations. They have their own different personalities. And, and again, picture a triangle. You've seen the land of Israel. Picture a triangle with the point pointing to the left, the Mediterranean Sea. That'll be our visual for this course. Picture, you know, a bunch of different little carved out states there. Those are the tribes of Israel. Tribe is kind of an anachronistic old word, but each one is a jurisdiction, a shavit. It's a large family that has uh, prospered to become the Jewish nation. So, so the sour note at the end of chapter one, Many, many of these city-states are not driven out. The entire land of Israel is not complete. And one of the reasons is they wanted to take a tribute. They thought that they could be in control of these nations and take the tax money. But they forgot that they were reassured that God would bless them with the land of milk and honey and prosperity there. And these evil religions, so to speak, are there to cause a downstream of destruction of society by having their presence there and their various idolatries, icons, that we will go through with each judge to see what the challenge is. Now for chapter 2. This chapter begins with a godly emissary coming and giving the people a very mosaic speech. A speech of Moses and Joshua type of speech to implore people to behave. Everyone had gone home and they're supposed to be acting righteously, settling Israel, but they have not. They don't have Joshua anymore as a leader. They're used to Moses. They're used to Joshua. They're used to mighty warriors coming and being an inspiration for them. Look at the idolatry in chapter 2, verse 11. They worshipped Baalim. We must understand what type of idol is Baalim. Baal in Hebrew means master or authority. In verse 13, Baal and Ashtaros, female sheep or a goat. We're back, we're back to the introduction topics. So the Jewish people here are looking for superheroes, looking for people to come and save them without trying to save themselves. So they succumb to idols that are powerful, mighty looking men. They're looking for female archetypes, astros. They want sheep and fertility goddesses, with lowercase g, to come and nurture them and protect them. I see this in psychotherapy, you know. So people, oh, I'm just waiting for that person to come along. I'm waiting for a man to come along. I'm waiting for, it's a woman talking. I'm waiting for the right opportunity. People need to find that strength in themselves and in their faith. God does. We trust in God to help, but we have to do action. He should meet, make an effort. And a goat. What's 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 the story with the goat? 
as we said in the introduction, the beautiful, the dreams of these beautiful lowercase g gods descend into the ugliness. People who don't feel good about themselves, they look for ugliness in their gods. They create gods in their own image. So at this time, the people were not strong enough. They became susceptible to the gods in their midst because they're waiting for a mighty hero. Chapter 3 brings a great lesson in this. At the beginning of the chapter, I just want to parenthetically say it brings certain nations here. I want to get into the um, ramifications of these nations a little bit later as we go through the different um, sections. Okay, chapter 3, verse 7. The first judge, Otniel, son of Canaz. So the Jewish people did what's evil in the eyes of God. And they worship Baalim, mighty warrior, strong gods, and Asherah trees. Here's another one, trees. The feminine, Gaia, nature, hippie type of religion. But we need a solution to this. A kosher, mighty warrior. And to realize land is just land. So God sends a king of Aram Harayim named Kushan Rishasayim. That's Kushan, double wicked. His name means double wicked. So let's get our picture in our head to understand why this is so strange. Picture that triangle again. Land of Israel triangle, a little bit shorter at the top, a little bit longer at the bottom. There's a long line on the right side. It slopes down to the left. The point of the triangle is not up, but to the left. That is the triangle. Now, now, let's imagine an arch. Go to the top of the triangle. That's the Galilee, top of Israel. And imagine an arch going up to the right and then down. This is a journey of Mesopotamia uh, where Abraham came. If you go all the way down to the right side of the arch, even the arch is even farther down than the bottom of Israel. That's where Abraham came from. Or of the Chaldeans. Could have been somewhere else. But the point is similar. He went up, he went up north by northwest to, to the top of the arch. And he was in a place called Haran. Haran. At that point, God tells him, go from your birthplace. And then he went to Israel. So this king, this double wicked king, Kushan, Rishasim, He's the king of Aram Naharayim. God did not send a wicked king to teach the Jewish people a lesson who was nearby. He sent one that was quite a far distance. And in those days, it was extremely difficult to travel. We need to understand for what reason. So a moment ago, I mentioned something quite perplexing. Abraham started far to the right side of this arch, way over past the other side of Saudi Arabia and Jordan nowadays. And he goes. And then he's in at top of the arch. And that's where God tells him the famous go for yourself in Genesis. For what reason did God tell him to go from your birthplace when you already left there? So the Jewish commentator points out, distance yourself farther from your father's home. His father was still with him. Picture going away to school and your parent is the dorm parent. Your parent lives with you. You get your first job, you go across country, your parent's with you. 
we need to take the good from our family of origin, but we have to leave any kind of bad, especially if it was very bad. That's called individuation. It's a tremendous process of refinement and maturity. And this process of individuation in Jungian psychology, obviously it's in the religious sources, this individuation parallels the journey Abraham made out of idolatry. Idolatry is extremely static way of thinking. It's harmful. It can cause death. Coming out of a family system, a person can't shake that. They have a hard time getting rid of the negative side of it. It's oppressive. And on top of that, my background is in family systems therapy, including an entire system in the process of therapy, ideally. And I found a direct quote from the developer of this structural family therapy, Salvador Mnuchin. He was talking to a supervisee who came from a very polite culture, and she was a little too polite. He said to her, you need to be more assertive to help them because families are very constrictive. He's saying that if people don't conform to their family, the family puts them in a box, makes them an identified patient. He said families are killers. Sounds intense. Not every family is like that. We have lots of loving families. But families can exert tremendous pressure on someone to conform when they need to, need to be supported as an individual. So you see from there, and, and then what comes from that is people depressed, anxious, God forbid, suicide, overeating, they become symptomatic from that. So we see from here that sticking with the negativity from a family of origin is not healthy for a person. And it parallels Abraham's journey out of an entire world filled with idol worship to becoming sui generis, his own category of person, his own nation as, in, as, a, as one man, and getting a wife and having children, creating a new reality, a new system, so to speak. And what, what he created is a nation that is constructive, that is in favor of things living and thriving, the humanistic type of giving that we spoke about before. He institutionalized this idea of supporting life at all costs instead of the self-destruction of idolatry, the occultism. He believed that the whole universe is under one being's auspices. So if we are all of the same kind, we should do kindness. I will give to the others because I'm giving to God's unity, the creation within God's unity. So the message God's sending to them is, you all are forsaking the primordial, a priori lesson of Abraham. You've descended into the wicked death cult of idolatry. And the, the whole nexus, the whole pipeline that, that Abraham initiated, the seed that he germinated, is at risk of being destroyed. And that's when they had to come with strength to respond. God is trying to tell them, you have forsaken the very root of your faith. You have regressed in your maturity. You've become immature that you need someone else to try to save you. You're not finding strength in yourself. They're oppressed for eight years. God sends to them Othniel, son of Canaz. The spirit of God was upon him and he judged Israel and he went out and waged war with him. 
was delivered into his hands, and the land was tranquil for eight years. Forty years. Forty years. The land was tranquil for forty years, an entire generation. He died, but in verse 12, after that, the children of Israel continued to do what was evil. Eight years is an entire sabbatical cycle in Israel. That represents a real passage of time. Forty years is a generation. He was a potent warrior. They were happy that he saved the day, but it was not meant to last. If you remember, we're looking for a complete seven-step program here. The Bible had a seven-step program that failed at the end of step six. We need a program that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joseph, and David in structure. It doesn't have to be those people. We're looking for it to be humanistic giving, self-control, creative creativity and spirituality, education, emotional helping, structure, and kingliness, monarchy. It, it broke down with Joshua. Here, we jump straight to the, the final step. Everyone's waiting for this king. They want to cut the ribbon, have the confetti. They were susceptible to the powerful icons. But they learned that without having the grassroots movement in society, it's not meant to be. They turned back to that. And it's really a powerful lesson for today. I mean, if you liked President 45, or I don't want to get I don't want to get one-sided here. You liked 44, you liked <laughs> FDR. I don't I don't want to get too specific. Picture someone who's very assertive that you like. This person makes you feel refreshed, saved. But unless there is a top, a bottom to top structure of support. They are not going to last if the if the corruption is in the judges, in the district attorneys, in the individuals. People are bought off from uh, foreign interest or corporate interests. That person is cooked. There has to be a full religion, so to speak. There has to be even people of diff differing faiths uniting to come together to have the energy and the zest and the commanding nature of. Otniel, son of Canaas, of Caleb. Of all, all, just like there are many tribes, we have many different people of faith, many different personalities coming together to complement one another in their skills. But people need to check up on city council, check up on school superintendents. We need to get more involved. We become very soft and unwarrior-like and pampered in many ways. We don't have to be fighting and militaristic and bickering. But if you look in the verses here, it says these are the nations that God sent to the Jewish people so that they will know war. To test them, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. They need to be tested and they need to know warfare. This is so underrated here. This does not mean that every person should be walking around with a gun and threatening others. This is just a Ridiculous paradigm from the mainstream media. What it means is if, if a nation is strong in defense, people won't mess with that nation. We're talk talking about basic self-defense. And more than that, we're talking about people getting together and being assertive and bold and making 
people in office or in positions feel the heat, feel a healthy heat, a pressure, accountability to serve us, to give us our needs, not to commit all these uh, cronyist insider deals and scams that are ruining this country. Warfare is both a protective activity as well as being bold and assertive and involved. Not staying home and thinking everything is hunky-dory, but to be more vigilant about protecting ourselves and making accountability. That's the lesson for today. We all need to get more involved, unite, cause good change, because it's really a spiritual battle. We're looking, it's a spiritual battle. It involves prayer, but it involves all of us getting together, uniting in faith, and not looking for heroes, but that God will make miracles once we go and try to help ourselves. This was the Downstream from Religion podcast. Thank you for listening. Feel free to send any questions and comments. I'd love to hear from y'all. I got some good feedback at the um, after the last podcast. I'd love to hear from you guys, all the people. Rabbi at RabbiBailey.com.